I miss a green, for example, I'm already upset. When I find my ball in the bunker, I'm really upset. And when I find my ball in a fried egg. Fried egg. The dreaded fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg lie, I'm about ready to run off the golf course. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another edition of the Fried Egg Podcast. Today I'm joined by uh, PGA Tour champions star and former PGA Tour uh, winner, Paul Goidos. Paul, thanks for coming on. Uh, good, thanks. I, um, star, it kind of caught me off guard, but uh, journeyman's been more the uh, title, but uh, I'll take star for this time. Hey, you got some wins on the Champions Tour. <laughs> I do have a few, I do have a couple, yeah. You know, former assistant Ryder Cup captain. They don't they don't give that out to anybody. Well, you know, I, I can base the argument that the fact that I was an assistant Ryder Cup maybe belies that argument. But um, yeah, we, yeah, Corey saw something that nobody else saw, and that was quite the experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so to kick things off, I think you're you're most known for your 59, and I'm I want to know about what went on you know the night before the preceedings to the 59 you know was there anything that was different than a usual you know night before a tournament no not really you know i'd, I'd really been actually been struggling a little bit um i I, had, I think i'd missed three cuts in a row prior to and um you know i was going through my usual prep that week and then wednesday we played in the pro-am on my on wednesday morning <clears throat> and as soon as we got done you know, the skies opened up and I mean it rained so hard I remember I was trying to go to the I think I was trying to go to a store and you couldn't get out of your car because um, it was flooding everything and so you know normally you'd be practicing Wednesday afternoon that was a Wednesday afternoon you just kind of watched it at the hotel room and watched it rain which obviously led to a little easier scoring conditions the next day but no nothing, nothing. <laughs> I had no expectations zero <laughs> yeah I uh it's <clears throat> golf's a funny game and uh is it I remember David Duvall saying that he like never hit balls a lot because when he was struggling, he didn't want to hit balls, and when he was hitting it good, he didn't want to hit balls to you know lose yeah. the rhythm. Was that the type? Of, I mean, yeah, I don't. I tend to. Uh, I have you know. If I'm really struggling, sometimes my caddy will talk about going to the range and having a purge, and just trying to get all the bad swings out. Um, but uh, I do think there's you know it. it I tend to try to do a lot of reflection, so I'll. I think you know some of the best practice I get done is kind of sitting down, like I said, like that Wednesday where it rained, and you can kind of think, "Hey, I've been struggling. Why have I been struggling?" And sometimes, you know, that self-analysis is, is an important part of it, and, and I tend to do that a lot too. Having said that, there are times when you just feel lost, and there are t- plenty of times in the range where I've hit it bad and just said, "You know what? I don't need to hit it. I don't. I'm, I'm going to go practice something else. This is awful." Or even putting, you know, you, kept there and you, have, you you throw down a ball at four feet and try to make ten in a row, and you can't make one in a row. And, and you, you know, sometimes the best thing you can do is just, you know, hey, today's not your day. Tomorrow's another day. Yeah, I think everybody's been there with like the short yeah, putts. It happens. Yeah. It happens. You know, your alignment gets a little squirrely, and something something's just not registering for whatever reason. Maybe you, you know, you sat, you slept funny that night, and your hips got a little out. Who knows? It, it so. There are there are things that happen in our sport, and sometimes we tend to, especially younger guys. I you know, as I've gotten older, hopefully, experience. Sometimes you can you can kind of practice yourself into a funk, and sometimes you just need to say step step back, take a look, take a breath, and say tomorrow's another day. We'll go back to work. Mm-hmm. So, has your perspective on just the game and you know getting ready for tournaments changed a lot over your career? Um. Yeah. Again, that goes back to experience. I'll, I'll never forget. Um, I was, I don't know, middle of my career. I was playing Hartford, and uh, I'd had a really good Tuesday. I played a practice round and really and really had a good couple. I you know, went to the range and really hit the ball really nice. I was really happy with everything, you know. Went to the chipping, you know, work on a short game and chipping everything in. And I went to the putting range and making 30-footers. And I remember talking to John Wood, who's uh, a caddy out there. I think he's working for Matt Kuchar now. And 
going, man, you know, okay, this has been kind of, you know, I can't, I don't know what to practice now. I'm making everything. I'm chipping in and I'm hitting it good. And he goes, let's just go home. Yeah, you've done, you're good. And then again, the same thing happened. Uh, I was at the prime got rained out. So I actually took 36 hours, didn't touch a club and went out and shot, I don't know, 10 or 11 under for the first two days. And it's kind of funny how this, this concept of, of over practicing, I, I have, five hours of daylight, I need to use that. And sometimes as a younger player, you get caught into this. I need to, I need to work. And sometimes the best thing you can do is say, Hey, things are good. Let's go relax and get ready. Mm -hmm. I I think I find that in my older age, I, you know, I play amateur stuff, but the, I've, as I've gotten older, I've practiced way, way, way less. And it, it seems like I'm almost better than I was when I practiced all the time outside of, but I think part of that, part of that's because we're better part of that's because we're better at practicing. Uh, we get more focused on our practice. We kind of said, you, know, you get, you get, you get good at setting goals at your practice. You get good at, you know, just getting better at practicing. You can get more done in an hour when you're at my age now than I could get done at, you know, two or three hours when I was 25, I really know what I was doing. And so I've gotten a better idea of what it takes and how to play well, what I need to do, what are, what are my strengths, that self-evaluation issue that you need to have if you're going to get better. I mean, Honest self-evaluation is something that every I don't care what you whether you, you don't care what you do for a living um, you need to have that and, and sometimes it's you stink and you need to go to work but sometimes hey things are good you need to go rest and be ready to go play. What um in terms of like self-evaluation I it ha, how much has stats changed the way you can do that? Um you know the problem with golf stats is they tend to be. Um, intermixed to some extent. Now they have these new ones, just these the engineers have come up with about strokes gain, putting and driving and whatnot. And, and I'm not sure how they work. I'll be honest with you. Um, there was something, someone had told me, I don't know if it's true or not, that, that when I shot 59, I had like the greatest strokes gain putting round and they'd ever measured. I don't know if that was true. At least at that time, I don't know if that was true or not. And I don't know where you even find that out, but the problem you have with some of the stats, let's take, you know, you know, say putts per green in regulation. Um, you know, if I hit a good drive in the fairway and hold my whole five iron, I have zero putts per green in regulation. According to this tour, I'm the best putter on tour. Well, that seems a little odd. I haven't putted, you know, you know, bunkers, you know, sand saves, you know, if I hit it three feet and miss it, my sand game and I'm 42%, that doesn't mean I need to work on my sand game. I need to work on my three footers. Um, there's a lot of, so there's a lot of intermingling and that's where that the evaluation you need to actually kind of, I would actually say the opposite. You need to be enough self-aware about yourself. And again, I think that, you know, know thyself is probably the best piece of advice you could give a young player is know who you are and know what, you know, what you can do. And, and again, evaluate. But if I go out and look at the stats and says I'm 42% sand saves, there's, there's a deeper deal there, um, that you need to dive into. And I, but again, if a player can play for six months and can't realize what he's struggling with, then that's that's another set of problems. Yeah, um, I think you see a lot of times when when players try and like, you know, they have a lot of success and then they try and you know, you know, Martin Keimer famously, I think he was trying to add a a, a fade or a draw. I think it was a draw for Augusta. A draw. Yeah. Right. And, uh, you know, Luke Donald, you know, went on a quest for more distance when he was world number one. Did you ever have right. anything like in your career where you tried to implement something and it, it just was the wrong move? No, I never really went down that path. That's not how I evaluated myself. You know, uh -huh. I, I take the loop. I can't, I can't, you know, for me to be, you know, Martin Keimer, when he played bad was a better player than I was, let alone when he played good. Um, he didn't shoot 59 so though. Not yet, not yet. Anyway, um, the Luke Donald issues is, is, is though again got the number one in the world. That's that's a stratosphere that I never even looked at. But the, it, he looked at said trying to get more length, and that's a part of that's an age. He's thirties in his thirties, and he's looking at how the game's changing. You know, I've always been a short hitter, kind of. My last ten years on tour, I was in the bottom ten percent in distance, and I never really tried to hit it farther. I said, well, I'm never going to hit it farther, or he's not significant i always tried to figure out a way to hit straighter i feel if i'm going to hit it if you're going to drive it short you have to drive it straight i mean if you're hitting it short and crook that you know that's again that's a whole other set of problems that i that i so i never tried to to make 
to, to fix the things that I think were maybe deficiencies, I tried to make my strengths stronger. I was always kind of the way I looked at it, uh, uh, improving my game. Um, I, I, for me to be successful, I need to drive the ball in the fairway and, and you need to make putts. If I do those two things, I'm probably going to be okay. Uh, and I always felt that that's kind of, again, goes back to that evaluation. I remember Roy McElroy saying something kind of similar, saying that, you know, he had a weakness and I don't know what, to be honest, I don't know what Roy McElroy's weaknesses are. I haven't really seen them saying healthy seems to be his biggest problem. Um, playing soccer, probably maybe not high on his list of things he should be doing, but, um, he mentioned that he didn't want his weakness was X. And he said, I don't want to spend so much time trying to make X better that I lose my strength. And I thought that was a very profound thing to say. His strength is driving the golf ball and, and long and reasonably straight. And that's how he, when he does that, he's very difficult to beat. And uh, I'm the same. I, I'm, I need to drive the ball straight and I need to make putts. And also that's where I'm the vast majority of my, of my thought process goes, not trying to fix what, you know, deficiencies I might have, you know, obviously if I'm fat hooking five irons, I'm going to go figure out why. But I mean, if I, if I'm more comfortable hitting a draw, I, I see no reason to work on the fade. If it, it, that, that to me, that would be, I would need to have everything else in such good shape that to where I would do that, make that kind of, that kind of uh, change would have to be, you know, I'd, I'd have to be in a much better, in a, in a great place. Zach Blair once said to me, and, he, and Zach is uh Despite what he says, he he's one of the shorter hitters. He always says, you know, I'm one of the longest hitters on tour. Zach Blair, younger guy. Yeah, I don't. Know. Yeah, okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Um, he uh, he's a shorter hitter, but he you know he hits it really straight. He found him. He hits he hits driver almost everywhere on tour. Did you find that right. with like hitting it straight? You know, on tighter holes, hitting driver gave you a, you know. Yeah, to some extent. To some extent, yeah. I mean. To me, um, if guys who drive it reasonably straight, and, you know, who are in the top, say, 20 in driving accuracy, tend to hit driver more because they're more comfortable hitting. I think I hit my driver straighter than I hit my three-wood off the tee. I definitely think I'd hit my driver straighter than I'd hit you know, a four-wood or a, long, or a hybrid off the tee. It's, it's just, it just, to me, unless there's, some re- unless there's a, a, a really compelling reason, and you do get holes where, you know, you go out there 250 yards and it becomes 20 yards wide with the hazards, and you're going to lay up, obviously. But generally, I hit my driver just as straight as anything else. And, again, it goes back to what I said before. If I'm not driving it good, it really doesn't matter. So if we got a fairway that's 30 yards wide with trouble, if I'm not hitting driver into that fairway the vast majority of the time, I'm probably not having a good week anyway. <laughs> good way to look at it. Um... But, again, again... You live by the sword and die by the sword a little bit, and and you said these are things that I generally need to do. Now you can obviously get that's a that's a big long term concept. There are rounds where you kind of the driver's not feeling good, and you're just getting it to getting it in the house to survive that round and get to the range and figure out why you're not doing whatever you need to do. There are times when again you get a little bit out of whack, and you and you have to find a way to fix that a little bit. And so you you will I will manipulate the round, or I might hit three woods or whatever just to get the ball in play and get it on the green and get that get through that round as little damage as possible that happens but on a big from a big picture standpoint you know i'm, I'm i i strength is driving it straight mm-hmm. um so with your career like one of the you know uh, i guess a stereotype for californians and florida floridians is that californians don't play well in florida um right. and floridians don't play well in california but you know, two of your best tournaments happened in Florida. Um, you know, it, it was, did you just buck the trend or is that just a, you know, a, a, not a real thing? Uh, I think it's, uh, again, it's experience. The first time I took a look at Bermuda graphs to me, it was like, you know, I couldn't figure out heads or tails of what was going on there, but it, that, you know, I, I, I got to, I got through that. I would argue that, um, uh, the bigger problem is going from Florida to California and putting on Poana than going from California to Florida and learning how to put on Bermuda. Bermuda grass now, to me, is much more consistent. You, it, you can kind of, if you spend some time and, and get some experience, it's, it's to me, it's, Bermuda tends to be a much better, more consistent putting surface than Californians struggle on Poana too, uh, at times. And but. Uh, Going from a place where you know you watch the AT and T, and that's the you know, you've got reasonably you got you got 
tough sand, tough soil conditions to grow grass and you got bumpy grains and they got quick. And, you know, you just have to accept that some of those horses, Tory Pines, for example, as an example too, where you're going to miss a couple of three footers during the week, even when you hit good putts, that's not the case in Florida. You can get going in Bermuda grass. I don't care who you are. If you get good putts, they generally go in. And it's not a function of, it's a function of dealing with that situation. California just deal with missing three footers every once in a while when they hit good putts in Florida. If you, again, if the Bermuda grass is in good shape and you hit a good putt, they generally go in. That isn't the case on Poana sometimes. Yeah, I uh, I lived in L.A. and spent a lot of uh, late afternoons playing Rancho Park, which you know, yeah. those, those things got pretty bumpy. And from a, yeah, I grew up at a, recre- a recreation park, and you play in the afternoon a bumpy Poana. It's yeah, it's, it's a test of your patience. So you know, you, you go from you know, in, in the, when you go to Florida and we play wherever, uh, we'll play at Boca Raton and we'll play in in Naples. The greens are perfect. They're Bermuda, but they're perfect. And if I hit a four-footer on the line that's read correctly and it goes in, I've hit plenty of four-footers at Pebble Beach or, 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 or Riviera or Torrey Pines, and I thought I hit a pretty good putt on the round. I was trying to hit it, and it just kind of didn't go in. It happens. It's, um, we, you know, people talk about, like, agronomy being a huge thing that's, like, gone through a big, you know, advancement in the game over the last 20 years. It, 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 having... Mm-hmm had a career that spanned like you know um you know a long time have you is that you know would you say that's really you know changed the game i, I think it's changed the professional game um i can't i can't speak for because we're, we're getting a golf course they're spending a lot of time to get the golf course fit ready i mean a normal golf club doesn't have that kind of uh, money to, to spend that they that say a tournament site's going to spend the to keep the course in tour shape. But having said that, yeah, I mean, the golf course conditioning has lowered scores. And the fairways are better. The grasses uh, need less water and, and can stay. So the golf, you know, the greens are smoother and stay smoother longer. Soft spikes, are the, you know, if you have firm greens, you don't, you don't get a lot of rain. Soft spikes are make, I think make a big difference um, over, over metal spikes. Um, which is, you know, this is the, what on the PJ tour can't be more than 25% of the guys that are wearing metal spikes anymore. And with firm greens, that makes a big difference, especially for the guys playing in say later in the afternoon. But agronomy has made a big, I think agronomy is, is a big part of why the golf scoring is so much better. People are, you know, you, you watch major champions. We played the, the open championship at Turnberry, um, the year that Watson lost in the playoffs. And I was playing a practice with Kevin Sutherland. We played really, we were playing like in the, we're both playing at four o'clock on Thursday. So we played like at three o'clock in the afternoon, two o'clock in the afternoon on Wednesday as a practice round. And we got done and the superintendent was on the 18th green. And we were just stunned by how good the greens were. And, 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 you know, and and this is seven o'clock in the afternoon. This is where the last guys, you know, 150 guys have played. And they hadn't even mowed it yet. And it was perfect. I mean, it was absolutely perfect. And, you know, if you if you read the green right from twenty feet and hit a putt, you're making it. There's there's nothing to keep the ball going on. I don't know if that was the case twenty five years ago. Yeah, um, with the Champions Tour, you know, the pin the setups are, as I understand it, a little bit more benign with pins more in the middle. Does it make it more of a putting contest? Uh, I wouldn't necessarily. I think that you know our pins are all going to be four or five from the edge. Like the difference is probably more length. You know, we're playing golf courses that are between 69 and 72 or three. Well, the PJ Tour is playing between 72 or three, and I'm assuming almost 8,000 now. Um, I think that's a bigger difference. And we're probably playing, we're playing golf courses that are that are take away our majors. But we're, like, you know, let's take the we just played the Schwab Cup Championship at uh, Phoenix Country Club. We basically played it, the, the member wanted to put their golf course in the best possible shape they had for their member guest or whatever. That's basically what we're playing. We're playing, you know, rough penal, but not unplayable. Greens are perfect. Um, they're trying to get, you know, trying to get everything firm, but that's a weather issue. So we're playing, we're playing golf courses that they aren't trying as hard to make it as difficult either from a off the, our fairways, instead of being 20 yards wide, 25 yards wide are going to be 30 to 35 yards wide. Our greens Instead of being trying to get to 12 or 13, we're trying to get to 12, 11 or 12. There's just little slight differences that that tend to, you know, bunch the field up and go back to what you're saying, you know, putting. But putting, to answer your question, though, putting 
there used to be a statement that said, you know, you drive to show and putt for dough, and we've obviously proven that that's not the case in professional golf, but everybody's a good putter. Putting is now a prerequisite to being a professional golfer. If you're not a good putter, you're not a professional golfer anymore. It used to be guys could ball strike their way around and be average putters and be pretty consistent and good players. It just isn't the case in the game today, mainly because of the conditioning of the greens. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, speaking to the transition from the PGA Tour to the the Champions Tour, what would you say is the you know the biggest difference outside of say the course setup in you know rounds in three rounds versus four? Well, I think the biggest difference is that you're playing against your um, basically one generation of players. You know, generation being about ten years, and the most of the players are between fifty and sixty. Um, while on the PJ Tour, you might play against three or four generations of players. You got 20 year olds and 45 year olds playing out there. And so you're playing against, you know, we're playing against, I'm playing against the best of a generation. They're playing against the best of all generations. Um, but once you get inside the ropes, it's the same thing. It's just it's, you know, the competition's the same. You're trying to do the same things. You're trying to beat the guys and um, trying to play the best you can. Um, but the difference to me is that I'm only facing. If the PJ Tour were for 20 to 30 year olds, it'd be very similar. Um, if we had, a, you know, the, 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 the Champions Tour is just one generation of players. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, one of our, I, I, I sent a tweet out to get some listener questions, and one of our listeners had a question that related on that with like the influx of cash in, on the PGA Tour now. And mm-hmm. do you think that, you know, 15, 20 years from now, there's going to be less players playing past 40? You know, that, that, that question gets, has been brought up, I think, as purses have increased, you know, probably since the 1950s. I mean, I'm sure the people in the 1950s couldn't believe how much money the guys in the 70s were playing for. Um, and in the end of the day, uh, you hear a lot of players talk about it, but we all like to compete. You know, we, we don't, once you get past the money, um, the guys who are really successful I don't care what sport it might be, um, and, and, and want, to, want to compete. And you see that in other sports, too. Guys seem to hang on longer than they should because they, they think they can still compete. They still want to do that, that compete. In golf, you're lucky. You can do it. I mean, Langer's winning tournaments at 60, and he's going to win tournaments next year at 61. Um, and that drive to compete is always going to be there regardless of where their bank account may be. Um, and I, I, everyone talks about you know, well, there's these 35 year old kids who say, I'm not going to play the champions tour. And then they're 45. They say, yeah, well, we'll see. And then they're 50. They're playing the champions tour. Cause this is what we do. And we, we, we want to be, we want to, you know, maybe it's ego driven. I don't know, but we, you want to, you want to compete and you want to show your skills off and you want to see what you can do. And you really can't do that with, you can't, they can't do that in other fields. They can go into television and whatnot, but the reality is you know, what they've been doing their whole lives is competing against their, their fellow players and, and and that drive doesn't go away just because your bank account's bigger yeah i i mean i think that same way like my wife does not understand why i play in like mid-am events around the state She's sure. like, yeah. What, yeah. and it's just you know the there's nothing like competition and you know you right. it challenges yourself and jack nichols talked about retiring when he was 40 and he was still playing the masters he almost won the masters when he was 58 um all these guys talked about that. I've always talked about, I'm not going to do this longer than X and they only doing it until they're 60. So there's nothing that tells me that, that Ricky Fowler is not in the same way. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, what, uh, what else are they going to do? Just play money games? Around well, there's the plenty of other too. things that I think there are plenty of things they can do. They're all smart guys. I mean, Tiger, you know, these guys are all really smart guys, but what drives them to be Ricky Fowler is this competitive nature. What drives Jordan, you know, Justin Thomas to be Justin Thomas is his competitive nature, and, and that's not going to go away because they're doing golf course architecture or they're doing something else. They're still going to have that desire to compete. Um, you know, having played on the Hogan Tour, which was then the Web, then you played on the no, another way around the, or, the Web Tour, yeah, I mean, then the Hogan Tour, <laughs> yeah, then, then I, I got it all mixed up. The PGA Tour and now the Champions, um, right. How, how would you kind of contrast the differences? What what are like the little things that you enjoyed about each? Maybe not the most obvious. Yeah, the Hogan tour. Um, I was I mean, 
just I had no idea. I'd never played any national level golf ever. In college, I never played the NCAAs. I never played a USM. I'd never really done anything. I didn't even know anybody out there. I didn't even heard of these people, except maybe what you read in Golf Digest. I never really paid that much attention to who was a great player in college golf. I remember Verplank won a uh, PJ Tour event when he was a college player. He won the Western Open, I think, and he played at Oklahoma State, and we played against them, but you know, I didn't know anything. Um, Hogan Tour was just kind of like to me was the biggest thing was, was going out there and playing. And, 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 and that's when I first realized that, Hey, you know, maybe there is a future playing. I was at that point, I was just gotten my college degree and I was kind of, you know, hemming and hawing and, you know, give it a couple of years and see what happens. And I, and I had some success and, and it kind of allowed me to kind of reevaluate in a sense. I, 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 what, what, what my goals would be. My goals were, you're obviously your ultimate goals to be the best player in the world, but those are, you have other goals too. And it was to kind of see where this goes and it kind of went in a good direction. So I kind of kept going and it, you know, here I am today. Um, PJ tour. It's a pretty cool thing. You know, I got, I got, I got to play for whatever it was, 15 years with tiger woods. And, and the, to know that when you're playing a tournament, you're playing against your, it's the ultimate challenge. And we, the European tour has gotten better, but when I played the PGA Tour, especially early, it was if you, that week. When I won Bay Hill, it was the fifth best field in the world that year. Um, this concept of, and maybe that's just your ego that you're you got a chance to be, you're playing against the best possible players and you're one of them, is a pretty cool thing. Once you step back and take a look at it, now you're not thinking that on the first tee, but like in the off season and, and especially the last few years now that I've you know, gotten older and kind of seeing what's going, watching the kids today. Got, hey, I got a chance to do that for 20 years. That was a, that's a pretty cool thing. Um, you know, maybe I'm too much of a fan of, of, of professional golf, but, um, you know, having a chance to play with Tiger, I shot 28 playing the first time I played with Tiger Woods. I shot 28 on the front nine, things like that, you know, against the greatest players in the world. That's just a cool thing to be able to do. I see that in other sports, baseball, I'm a big baseball fan. I mean, it's got to be pretty cool to go out and play center field for the Angels when you're Mike Trout. That's like, that's a pretty cool thing. Um, and then the Champions Tour, you kind of gets back to what golf is really about. And you, and you, and you, and you, you know, golf is a great um, a great sport. It's it's a, it's it's you play you're not, when you're not playing golf. You play golf for 50, if I play a PJ Tour event, if I play a Champions Tour event, I'm actually playing golf for about 15 minutes. You know, you know. I'm hitting, playing my, hitting my hopefully 65 shots in about 15 minutes. So, you know, you, you realize how, you know, how good the people are in golf because you get, you, you have all this time to, to talk and spend time with them. And, you know, and, and, and you, I look back over the years and someone said, you know, how would you describe the PJ tour? And I go, it's a bunch of guys who you'd love to have as your next door neighbor. And golf tends to breed that in our sport. And that's one of the nice things about the champions tour. You go to player dining and you have a you know, choice of, 15 different tables you can sit at and you know all 15 of them are going to be pretty good guys who you're going to enjoy a conversation with while you eat lunch and i think that best describes our game the people that end up playing our game for long periods of time tend to understand that part of our game the people who don't like the the etiquette and don't like the the slowness and don't like that stuff tend to go play other sports they get bored when they're 10 years old or 12 years old or 15 years old and move on while the people that stick it out tend to be you know i've always said about the first tee is that you know what junior golf makes is not great golfers it makes great citizens and golf's always been very good at that yeah i mean you could say that we all have uh we're all we're all sickos you know we are all uh self-deprecators that like to give themselves well, a hard yeah, time we, for this pursuit well golf tends to produce losers i mean i played 500 pj tour events and i won twice i mean if you it eventually kill i will admit that golf eventually gets to everybody drives everybody a little bit crazy but um but probably in a good way because you, you do, it's the greatest players in the world, you know, are losing the majority of the time. And, and that's difficult to deal with at times. Um, so you, you spoke about playing with Tiger a little bit and mm-hmm. um, I'm curious as to, you know, I've heard a lot of other players talk about like there was this intimidation factor. Um, what, did, what was it like being in the ropes with him? I mean, obviously you shot 28, that first sign. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, uh, uh, you know, first of all, Tiger, I probably uh, shouldn't say new, but, you know, we grew up in the same place. 
he was, you know, a five-year-old kid hitting balls at Hartwell Park, and it's a part three course that had a lighted range, and I was, you know, 16 or 17. So we kind of, you know, we, we, he grew up in the city next door to me, and we actually, the Navy course, which he talks about playing a lot, where he ran into some trouble um, because of the color of his skin. I My dad was a military guy, and I played golf there a lot, too. So it wasn't, Tiger didn't have that same effect on me because I, I knew I saw him when he was five hitting balls in the range. I mean, I had a different, slightly different perspective of him. Having said that, he's a, you know, he, good players can know that they know that you're intimidated, not necessarily by the person, but by his skill set. He didn't intimidate me as a person. He intimidated me because he was so freaking good. I mean, it was, I, I played with him at the practice round on Wednesday before the U S open at Pebble beach it was John cook and, Marco Mayer, myself, and Tiger Woods on Wednesday morning. Man, I don't know. I don't know if it's intimidating, but I there's no way I was going to beat him that week. And I missed a cut, but there was no way anybody was going to beat him that week. And I knew that on Wednesday. And I don't know if that's intimidation or just respect. Um, but I do remember it was an incident we were playing uh, together at the Buick Open in Michigan. And you know, you're playing with Tiger, you're going to have a they're going to be five deep on every hole, which you know we weren't. We were in the top 20, maybe. And uh, on the in, in, in the fourth hole, I had about a three or four footer for par, and he he put it out, and he was just waiting to go to the next tee. And I look at I look up at the hole the last time before I'm gonna hit my putt, and somebody takes a picture. Flash goes off. And he wasn't taking a picture of me. There, you know, Tiger was somewhere, but I happened to catch it in his eye, in my eyes, and I start used to, you know, I was smart enough to back away, and you're blinking, and it was kind of catch you off guard a little bit. And I'm sitting there trying to get my vision just to stop, you know, to get cleared up before I can hit this three-footer. And I walk in there, and I finally hit this putt and knock it in. And I kind of walk in off a tiger and go, wow. Well, I'm thinking he's going to say, you know, sorry, you know, you know, whatever. He just said, welcome to my world. Because it happens to him every shot, you know. He has to deal with that stuff. And, you know, it, he wasn't intimidating he was he he just said this is this is if you want to be you want to be a great player this is what you got to deal with and 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 he dealt with that and and still won i mean the fact that, again how he won how these guys nicholas i put nicholas and him in, in a similar category how they could you know win at that clip under those circumstances is pretty impressive we've already forgotten how good tiger was we've completely forgotten yeah i uh we've completely forgot this week with it coming back it's you know you I was reading this morning um, all these, you know, stats, and you've seen it all right. week with people putting stats out there. I mean, it is right. unbelievable how good he was. Uh, they had they had a number of Jason Day when he won the PGA at Whistling Straits, and he played good the rest of that year and into the next year. Maybe he won the match play or something. And uh, they had mentioned that he'd won 17, 7 out of 17 starts, which is ridiculous. I mean, that's just a ridiculous thing to do. On the PGA Tour against the best players in the world, have seven wins and 17 starts. Tiger did that seven different times. I mean, that's just, that's ludicrous. Um, again, we, 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 Jordan Spieth had a great start to his career. And my, I don't know if he still does. It might have a chance to be the youngest person ever to win the Grand Slam. You know, the career Grand Slam anyways. Um, we talk about, you know, yeah, I mean, it's 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 not even. I mean, Tiger compared Jordan. Jordan Spieth is a great player, maybe the best player in the world. But he's not Tiger Woods. I got news for everybody. It's. Uh, I mean, I was. There's a stat that, to that is like Jordan Spieth missed 13 cuts in his career. Tiger's missed right. 15, and Tiger started his career right. when Spieth was two. Right. It's it's ridiculous. Yeah. It's uh. It's my favorite stat I read that I had never heard before was the. Uh, his 40 European Tour wins is third all time, and he never played one full season on the European Tour. Yeah, my understand. I, I thought at one time he might have. He was the all time leading money winner on the European Tour. Uh, he was definitely in the top two or three, just based on you know the events. You know, yeah. I mean, just it's a, it, there's a dominance there that we've forgotten. Mm-hmm. What um what do you, have you been watching? What do you expect from you know this week? And do you, you know his you know do you think there's anything uh, you know left in the tank for return? Obviously. And back to the other conversation. The guy wants to compete. He loves to compete. And there's you know he, he's the ultimate you know, at that. I would say of all the players we've talked we talked about, he I think he loves that competition as much as anybody. Um, whether his body can allow him to do that's a different question. 
uh, I, again, if he's healthy and can play, he's going to be, he's going to, he's, he, he's going to have some, another player for all those guys to deal with. If, if you know, he has, again, he has that, that intangible that you have to have to be that good. I mean, there, there are plenty of players over the years who have had incredible talent and let's say, take Tiger Woods won 70 tournaments and he won, I think it's what, 14 majors. Uh, and you take another player like say Davis Love who won 20 tournaments in one major. Well, Tiger's not five times better than Davis Love. There's an intangible there that Tiger has that Davis didn't have. And Davis is one of the 20 greatest players of all time, maybe 20 or 30 greatest players of all time. And Tiger's that much has that much better. So Nicholas had obviously had it too. And you think there's probably three or four guys. So that intangible doesn't go away. Um, so if Tiger's healthy and can play and can get, you know, he said, get a few, some reps under him. Um, there's nothing that tells me that if his body lets him play, he won't be a great player again. Yeah. Outside of Tiger and, and that era, who did you think was the next best player? Yeah, obviously Phil. I mean, I thought, you know, Phil did it over a longer, Phil, VJ had good years. Ernie Els had good years. Phil did it over a decade. Um, you know, and, and Phil hadn't had that, sw- had that swashbuckling attitude, but Phil won, I think Phil's won close to 40 events. I'm not sure exactly what it is. And five majors. And he really didn't start winning. He won, started winning majors a little late in his career, and he still won five. Uh, he won three. You know, he, and there's nothing that says he might not win the U.S. Open in the next few years too, and win the career Grand Slam. I mean, I think he was definitely the second best player. They had that. I don't know if you saw the stat on on Twitter about uh, from you know the tw- for, I don't know, from 1997 to sometime 2000. Oh, the top whatever. 50 thing. Well, the top the in relation to par in major championships. That Tiger was 128 under. Phil was third at like 100 and. 28 over. Yes, Steve Flesh was number Steve two. Flesh was actually, Steve Fleshy was, Fleshy was a good friend of mine. Fleshy was number two at 250 shots, you know, over, a, you know, I think it was a 15 year period or something. I mean, that's a, but that, that shows you Phil, you know, Fleshy's, a, Fleshy's an underrated player and he's, he's tremendous talent. It doesn't surprise me his name was there, but it shows you how good Phil was at that time. I mean, Phil, in a sense, amazing how big a person Phil's a big personality. Phil's, I, I, Phil's a, I always consider Phil a friend, and he's a, I, I've always liked Phil. To be that big a personality and can be completely overshadowed by Tiger Woods tells you how again how great Tiger Woods was. Yeah, yes, yeah, it's, it's a good point. My my listeners are going to get after me. I I always contend Ernie was number two in that era. So it's... Uh, Ernie had Ernie Ernie. Ernie definitely competed it's hard sometimes he was Ernie's still slightly in the era where the european tour and the pj tour were apart so it's hard to measure you know nick faldo i mean nick faldo how, how do we measure how do you measure colin montgomery how do you measure some of these guys nowadays it's a little easier because there's a lot more competition among the top players from both tours or from the world i guess now you'd call it back then ernie didn't still was bouncing back and forth and it was it didn't have the same we didn't have the ability to so Ernie could be a reasonable choice there it's just harder to figure out because there wasn't so much inter-tour competition yeah if you look at their major championship stuff it, I mean they're they're so close it's it's right you know I think they're like they're separated like top all-time top tens is like they have like one or two uh right. you know, between them and you know, one win uh, more for Phil. Right. Um, and Phil has, again, Phil's a bigger personality. Yeah. And so that tends to help him in those types of rankings, too. American, too. You know, there's this American bias. Sure. <laughs> sure. <there. laughs> um, so uh, with the kind of spanning this era, um, there's been a lot of talk about bifurcation in the game. Um, you know, where, mm-hmm. where do you kind of stand on the golf ball and technology? Well, again, this is, you know, we're running a business and, and we can talk a lot about how, and I, I think some of these concepts, well, first of all, this concept that we need to play 8,000 yard golf courses is an interesting concept. I know Chambly's talked about it a lot on Twitter. Chambly's fun to follow because he'll always say crazy stuff. And, um, but again, no one, if you look at, you look on the PJ tour, I'd say the two courses that play the shortest on tour are Hilton Head and Colonial. No one's shooting 30 under par. There. They're shooting actually higher. I bet the stroke average of those relations to par is higher than average on tour. 
so length is not the is not the end all the be all. I remember we at the Houston Open. I don't know, got torn 15 years ago. They switched over to this place, it's Redstone. I think it's called the I think it's called the Houston Golf Club now. But we played the members course the first couple of years, and the back nine was four a little over four thousand yards long. I remember playing the practice round and getting done. And God, I just hit a bunch of three woods every hole. What the hell? So I added it up. It was like 4,030 yards of the back nine. I mean, thinking, holy, that's long. And they shot, and Craig Couples, I think, won that year. He shot 22 under par. Length is not going to deter scoring. So the ball, you know, the, 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 forever, for all the greatness that the golf ball has, which it goes farther and spins less, well, there's a way to, for architects to deal with that, you know. Just watch the tour players play the ten foot Riviera and how bad they mess it up. You see a lot of these twos and you see sixes. You know, length is and that holds a three wood, it's a three wood par four for all these guys, and they struggle with. So there's ways to deal with it that that the, the golf ball is harder to control distance wise. So there's ways for architects to 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 fix that through making distance control being more important than you know being able to hit your pitching wedge. You know, uh, Marion for the U.S. Open. Phil Mickelson, you know, he had a a pitching wedge into I think it's fourteen to part three, maybe it's thirteen, whatever the short part three is by the clubhouse. And then the ne- and then the next hole he had two wedge shots that he hit the wrong distance and he went bogey bogey and lost US Open. Not because he didn't hit a didn't play a five hundred and fifty yard par four well, but because he didn't hit a wedge at the right distance. And the architect we need to figure out a way to make distance control more important and when you do that then the, then the players will demand a ball that they can control better but right now we're not doing that with architecture we're just making it longer to where distance control is less important this i had uh bill core on the podcast a couple of weeks ago and um he said when a reporter called him about you know how he was going to combat the distance problem with trinity forest he said you know i want to make golf courses shorter and wider and make right. it more about them hitting it the right distance and the right, right. line, you know, where right. it's you know, they have to pick a line and they have to hit it, well, execute the distance on that line. What's the hard? What's the hardest hole in major championship golf under pressure? It's not. It's it's twelve at Augusta, which forces you to either hit it at the right side of the green. It's forces you to hit the right club. You hit it at the right, you know. And just throw a little bit of wind in there, and guys struggle because distance control is harder with the new golf ball. If you hit your nine iron 160 yards, 150 yard shot's a lot harder. But if you hit your seven iron 160 yards, 150 yard shot is a lot easier. I think that mathematically makes sense, being skilled being the same. So when you start, when they start hitting the ball farther, it makes the gaps between the clubs bigger. So architects, by 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 strength, you know, Chambly would bury me on Twitter with this, but. To me, lengthening the golf courses plays into the hands of the long hitters into the golf ball while shortening and tightening and, again, what Bill Core is saying, making guys hit at the right distance. And you do that with angling greens and whatnot. You know, we're hitting it 20 feet pin high left is no good or 20 feet pin high right is no good. You know, that that makes them hit the ball not only the right distance but also, the right, you said, the right line. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And it's, you know, I think that's where, like, that's where Dye changed everything with Harbortown was he reintroduced this idea of, like, it's not just about hitting it long and straight. It's about hitting right. it straight and the right distance. And, right. You know, Colonial's and, like that. And again, Colonial, you got to pull on the fairway. Yeah. It's, in Fort Worth, you just have to pull on the fairway. Yeah, and it, it takes driver out of so many of those guys' hands because of those dog legs. And, and stuff. Right. you got you get, well, you got to shape it, which is mm-hmm. harder to do with today's ball. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's harder I, to hit shots because the ball doesn't spin enough. That's – I – notice with all the you know like the famous shots from 1999 versus the famous shots from like 2017 you don't see any all the shots today are just these towering you know three woods or irons right dead straight right play versus right the recovery shot um but there's a pretty big caveat here and and i think that's not talked about and the, the the professional golfers of today are taking advantage or figuring out what, what do I need to do to be successful? If tomorrow they decided to completely to shorten the golf ball, make it spinnier and make driving accuracy and distance control the most important thing in golf. And if you could do those things, you wouldn't be any good. After a couple of years, the same guys would be on top. Yeah. They just and figured so, it so, out. 
we, we, I, I do think, yeah, because the best players figure this out. Best players are the best players for a reason. So, you know, back in the day when Tiger and Phil, if driving at, when, when they weren't driving it right, if driving accuracy were the most important thing in golf, those guys would have, would have had a totally different style of play and still be the best players. They've adapted themselves and figured out the best way to be competitive under these circumstances. And the great players do that. So some, some of this stuff to me, I, some, I, some of this stuff to me is a little cringeworthy when I hear about the way the game is played today. Well, the game, it, that's a, that's a chicken and egg issue. And I don't, I, I think it's very unfair to today's top players to say, well, the ball and this and that and the other thing, well, that they, they're playing the equipment that they've been given and figured out the best way to be competitive with that equipment. And so uh, to say that that equipment is why they're good, I think is a completely wrong. I think it's the other way around. These guys are great players and they figured out how to be the best with the equipment in today's days. If Jack Nicholas were playing today, he'd be playing like those guys. Yeah, I think Trackman is underrated in it too because it's taught everybody how to you know get to where they're perfectly optimized. Yeah, kid, I'm sure it does. I mean, I've never done that. I like what Dustin does with track now, where he, he optimizes distance. He, he figures out how far to hit each shot. He's turned into the best short iron wedge player in the world from the fairway, you know, according to stats. And, and, and that says that's got to be pretty scary if you're Rory McIlroy. And he, he's, he's, it's where he hits, and he turns into a great player from 150 yards. But, again, I think it does a disservice to our top players. I think that they're – it's just it, – it, 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 they're not there because of the equipment. They're there because they're the best players and don't under, don't, don't ever forget that. Um, so I, I want to get you out of here. We had some, some listener questions I wanted to get to real quick. Okay. Um, Sean Martin, friend of the pod and, you know, longtime golf writer wants to know your best story from days as a substitute teacher. Wow, I mean, usually you can't repeat those. Substitute, do you have secrets? You know, what happens when substitute teaching uh, stays in substitute teaching? Um, I can remember, I, I'm, the luckiest thing, I, I can remember I was lucky. I got lucky one time. Was, uh, I tell the story. I was working a seventh grade PE class, and some kid behind was just, I'm trying to take roles so I can roll out some basketballs and they can do whatever they want to do for half an hour. And so it's, and PE is always a little chaotic. And trying to just, they have, they have a system, you stand at a number and whatever numbers aren't anybody standing on that see Mark Abson. And uh, this kid was behind me while I'm taking roll and he had his gym shorts, you know, down around his thighs and his shirt tucked in and he was dancing and whatnot. It's a long story. I hope you have time. No, and uh, I hope you have time. And people, kids are, kids are giggling and whatnot. And I, and I finally figure out this thing and I go, Hey, you quit stopping like an idiot and get on your number. And he goes, Hey, you can't call me an idiot. He says to me, I go, well, I didn't call you. And I said, you're acting like an idiot, but get on your number. And he goes, well, he starts giving me a lip about it. I say, Hey, look, you know, I'm a substitute. I don't care. Why don't you head on down to the office? I'll just mark you absent and you can have your, you can deal with it tomorrow. It's not my problem. And so I sent him off to the office and he goes to the office and I finished rolling, finished the class and you have to go back down to the school and you grab a little card that you sign out and that's how they know you were there. And nobody signed me out, and the principal was a note on my card saying, go talk to the principal. And I'm, come on. I don't need to go to the principal's office. So I did that when I was a kid. I don't need to do it now. And so I walk in there, and, and he goes, hey, did you send a kid down here? Said, I go, yeah, I did. And he goes, you said you called him an idiot. And I go, well, no, I didn't. And so I said, so he's acting like an idiot. And he goes, well, we don't want, he starts going in, and we don't like to use that kind of language with our kids, which might be reasonable. And I go, well, I know. And I go, hey. You know, this is like, so I say, he's a dictionary. He has a dictionary on his desk. And I go, open the dictionary and look up the word idiot. And he started looking at me. He goes, do it. And he so said, I don't know what it's going to say. So I said, this is, I explained to him what his student was doing. And uh, he had his gym shorts down around his knees and his shirt tucked in. And he was dancing like whatever behind me. And again, he looks up at I go, what's the first word under idiot? Now, I don't know. I, don't, I have no idea what it's going to say. And the thing it says is buffoon, <laughs> which is just stupid luck. This is dumb luck on my part. And so I go, look, I don't know what kind of school you're running here where you think it's okay to actually your students to act like this. But, you know, if you don't want and again, they have a, they have a massive short shortage of substitute teachers. They, are, they probably still do today. And I go, if you don't want me coming back here and teaching your classes, I'll be more than happy to tell them not to send me here anymore. And I'll, you know, more than happy to tell all the other substitute teachers not to come here either. And they kind of looked at me, looked at the dictionary, looked at me, signed the card, and said, no, I think we're okay. 
But that's probably the luckiest thing. It's maybe one of the five luckiest things that's ever happened to me because it could have said anything. And it said buffoon, that particular dictionary. I said buffoon. I go, this is exactly what he's acting like. Maybe you guys need to do a better job of getting your kids to act better. I, you know, I feel like buffoon needs to be used more. In the, in yes, the, it's a great word. It is. It's, I mean, it's, it's quite a, if you call somebody a buffoon, it's pretty insulting. Yes, it is. I agree. Um, <laughs> that's fine. Um, so uh, IDK in Massachusetts wants to know, uh, wants you to rank Rec Park, Skylinks, and El Dorado in, uh, in, no. in best to worst. Well, I mean, I'm biased. Rec Park's one of the great municipal courses, you know, the original Virginia Country Club. Um, and it's been around since, you know, Rec Park's been around 100 years almost. And I would, I would argue Rec Park's one of the great municipal golf courses in the country, if not the world. So that's that's an obvious number one. Skylinks, Eldorado's probably two, and Skylinks three. They redid Skylinks, but for no apparent reason. The old Skylinks used to be fun. They used to have a game out there on Fridays, and you go out and play. And guys, you know, you get a guy out there with, you know, a 16-pack of beer and a broken floor wood and seven irons and a putter and shoot 65 all day long. And it was a, it was a fun game to play with. Um, and Eldorado's a good, Eldorado, they've done a good job. It's, you know, what they've done up for, for municipal golf courses, you know, like my, my, what I would say is you go play, I haven't played Skyline so much lately, but Eldorado or Parker, terrific condition, considering they're getting, I don't know, I mean, I don't know how many rounds of golf they get. They got to get 100,000 rounds a year there. It's amazing. It's, um, that's a, it, Rec, Park, Rec Park's iconic. Rec Park's iconic, in my opinion. Rec, Rec Park? It's like uh, Rancho Park. Pr- produce a lot of PGA Tour players. If I ask you guys, John Merrick, you know, you go back to the Jamie Mulligan deal. Um, I wouldn't surprise me if Patrick Cantley played some at Rec Park growing up. You know, there, and there, there's a story that, that hasn't, you know, it's starting to get told. But what Patrick Cantley did last year, you know, throwing off on a tangent about Long Beach. I mean, here's a guy who took off, didn't play for four years, you know, injuries and whatnot. You know, had his best friend and caddy die in his arms, get hit by a car. Um, show up last year, play 12 events, make 12 cuts, make tour championship, and then win his second start. So in the last 14 events, he's made 14 cuts as a win, made a tour championship. I mean, how many guys in the history of the sport could have taken four years off between 21 and 25 and then made the tour championship in 12 starts? I can think of about three. Nicholas and Woods and maybe Hogan. Hogan got hit by a bus and won three majors. So I got to give him some. Very few people could have ever accomplished that, and and I don't know that that story is being told. Then he won, obviously, won at Las Vegas here in the in the fall. I mean, this guy, this kid is unbelievably good. I mean, I played I played with him and a few times, and it's you know, he's better. He's he he just went out and playing with us at Virginia. He's better than I ever was, and and and. Let's talk about a, a, a limitless expectations. That guy's going to be a really good player for a really long time. Yeah, I, I hope he stays healthy. I, I I did this article last year. It's a lot of work. The uh, I did this article twenty five the top twenty five Americans under twenty five, and I I was going through it, and I you know I, I having you know playing amateur golf. You remember Pat, Patrick Cantley, you know like. And right. I, I saw he was still 24. I was like, he's got to be in this top 25. And then he came back. I was so excited. But people f- forget, like, you know, like this was a guy that completely overshadowed Spieth at that at that oh, same yeah. age. Like, you know, like it was Patrick Cantley. I mean, what he did when he was 19 was out of this world. It, it, I, uh, I, I'm really excited um, if, you know, if we can get, you know, 10 – great years of Patrick Cantley. That'd be really awesome. I, I love his demeanor yeah, got, on the course too. He's got a good plan. He's got a good plan about himself and, you know, him and Jamie have really worked hard and done a lot. You know, it's, it's obviously, you know, I'm a big Jamie Mulligan fan. Who's his teacher. And Jamie Mulligan has taken three kids, basically high school kids made them tour players. I don't know anybody's ever, you know, I understand that Butch Harmon's a great teacher, but he made Tiger Woods better. Well, I think I could make Tiger Woods better. Um, Cantley, you know, he took Cam- John Merrick, Patrick Cantley, John Mallinger. These guys were just high school kids slash college kids who just kind of, especially Merrick and Cantley, it's just kids' junior programs at their club, turned them into tour players and tour winners now. Yeah, that's unprecedented, in my opinion. Yeah, he's, um, I feel like, yeah, that, that is a story that probably should be told. Yeah, then we, we, we won't say what, what Jamie's done for John Cook and Luke List and Peter Tomasulo myself 
I mean, there's a long list of people who have worked with Luke, Luke List worked with him for a year and went from a guy struggling to keep his card. He had a great year last year and I expect he's going to have a great year this year. Yeah. He, um, I mean, he was a, like a top 20 machine last year and yeah, uh, he's a, he, he's a really good player. He hits it. He hits it so far. It's such a, you yeah. know, it's like, it, it, that's a guy with a ton of potential. Let's say, you know, yeah. you look at a guy that could win five times and, two or three years he's and definitely one of jamie's them. got another guy max homa who's worked with he's a really good player uh-huh. he's uh he's a funny guy just from following him on twitter <laughs> yeah so uh we do this thing uh we want to get you out of here so you don't you know uh we don't take up too much of your time uh we do this uh overrated underrated so it's just question mm-hmm. you gotta say overrated or underrated there's no properly rated okay all right um mock turtle mix Oh, way underrated. <laughs> I, I'm, you know what? They might be ripped down so much that they could be underrated. No, they're way underrated. They're very comfortable. <laughs> they are comfortable. Especially for guys don't have, especially guys that don't have shoulders and big necks. <laughs> um, all right. Um, now that Furek posted 58, is 59 watch overrated? And this is from Derek Goss. Yes. Yeah, overrated. Yeah, they, over, the 59 watch is overrated. I, mean, I, I would think that there's been enough of them there, and Fury 58 changes things a little bit, sure. Somebody else, somebody asked this, and I, I forgot to write down. Um, who, who was more pissed after your 59? Stricker, that he wasn't leading after shooting 60? Or you, that you were only leading by one after but shooting 59? It had to be me. It, it had to be me. Um, I mean, I woke up the next morning, went to Starbucks, came back, turned the computer on, I was three back. Not only was I not leading the tournament, I was three back. He almost hold it on the last hole, too. I think he almost caught the edge of the hole, almost hold it for 59 on the last hole with like a long iron or something. That, that was during his run there where it was... Hey, he won every year. Yeah, I mean, yeah. beating Stricker at John Deere was like beating Tiger at Firestone. You know? yeah. Between him and Zach Johnson, it was those guys, that golf course just tailor-made for that. I mean, they're local guys. I agree. It's, uh... Yeah, I agree. But that's an example, not a long course. No. And again, that golf course, if you played there in the fall, we played there right in the middle of summer where they can't get it firm. You played there in the fall when it got firm, you wouldn't see the scoring like that. It's a better golf course than that. It's just, there's so you can't play everywhere at the perfect time of year. I, uh, I grew up and we'd have like tournaments in October there. It was tough, especially if it was yeah, cold. Not an easy. <laughs> yeah, it gets firm. It's not that easy. Yeah, cold and windy and firm. Is that, that place has teeth. Um, right. All right. The last, last one from Al Pandera. The button, mm-hmm. the top button, butting the top button of your shirt. Mm-hmm. Overrated, underrated. Way underrated. I mean, again, that's what that button's there for a reason, isn't it? I mean, I, I, I never, again, when you have a big neck, and I have like a 19-inch neck, 19 and a quarter-inch neck, I make dress shirts. So if I don't button the top button, my shirt, I, I need to have a gold chain to play, but shirt would be, the collar would be so flayed. That's why I do it. There's a collar. I mean, I don't have, I don't, if I had like a little neck and the button, it just stayed right there. But if I don't button that button, my whole shirt opens up like, you know, a 1970s disco dancer. See, that's an interesting perspective. I am so anti the top button, but I have a skinny neck. Right. So, wouldn't, yeah, it wouldn't make sense for you. When I do it, I'm like, God, this just doesn't, <laughs> this would, would never look right. But, but I'm not the only person that does Somebody else is doing it now, too. I, I don't know who. There, Bub, I thought I saw somebody else had done it. Bubba does it. and uh, There you go. I'm, I mean, Duvall did it for a while. Tiger did it for a while. Yeah, of course. That's, I mean, that's some good company, Duvall and Tiger. Exactly. Bubba. Bubba's won two, two Masters. Talk about over. The Masters is the most overrated golf tournament in the world. Yeah. It, I, it, do you think that has to do with pl- them playing the same course? Every single year, I think that has a lot to do with. I think it has to do with. I think Augustus only is the smartest for the four majors. They're the smartest people. They make the show the golf course. You know, the USGA makes the show par, and you know, but they, they do such a great job that they have no problem. They they love it. A matter of fact, when when again, Nicholas shoots sixty five and making eagles the last day and, sh- and making hitting good shots and being re- nobody rewards good play more than Augusta National on Sunday, no tournament and they do so. The, so there's not it's the 
It's the most underrated telecast, but from a tournament standpoint, to me, it's it's overrated. But they do such a great job of creating drama with their golf course. They aren't trying to make it play the hardest on Sunday. They're trying to make it play the most exciting on Sunday. And every other tournament misses that. Every tournament misses that. They're always talking about Sunday pins. Well, the Sunday pins at Augusta are a lot of the easiest ones. They're in, like, the funnels and the bowls. 16s in the bowl. But then 17s in a very difficult spot where you make a mistake, it's problematic. They do. They, they're, they're set, they, have, they have perfected golf course setup, in my opinion, from a whole location standpoint. Perfected it. And nobody else does that. Well, the players is starting, you know, they, that, they, the PGA Tour has done such a smart thing with the players having it at Sawgrass year in, year out. Because right. now helps. when you come down the stretch, at everybody knows what's coming versus yep. when you play, you know, a U.S. Open at, you know, Aaron Hills or Chambers Bay. Nobody, nobody has a clue what's going on. Right, right. And again, but the USJ is trying to make, USJ is trying, and also they would never stick the pin. If the USJ ran the U.S. Open at, at Augusta National on 16 on Sunday, the pin wouldn't be there. So you wouldn't see all the drama. The Tiger Woods chip in, which one of the great, almost iconic shots in golf when he beat the Marco. Um, you know, Nicholas almost hold it there in, in, in 86 when he won. You don't, they wouldn't put the pin. They put the pin back right and everybody's making double. And everybody kind of going, oh, okay. You know, the year I played the year that, that Zach shot, I think it was Zach shot one over par and won the tournament. You know, taking away from Zach, but I'm sure the ratings weren't as good. When you get bad weather and over par wins Augusta, it's not as good. And, you know, when you get 15 under par and, and you get a guy, you know, birdie, you know, birdie in the last four holes to win, that, that people love that stuff. Yeah, that's a good finish. It's uh, like, yeah. It, and it's mean, not like everyone's doing it either. Gusset spreads it out on Sunday. You get two or three guys with a chance to win. It's, there's plenty of guys shooting 75 on Sunday when other guys are shooting 65. Well, so, you know, it, last question. If you, mm-hmm. one, one course that never hosts tournaments that you'd love to see, a, say, say the PGA Championship could go anywhere, and this is, you know, and they didn't have to worry about grandstands or anything, and right. it would be the permanent host of the PGA championship, where would you go with it? To me, the best golf course I've played is Pine Valley. And I think it'd be, again, I think Pine Valley would be very similar to Augusta national. Um, I think you'd see low score, lower scores than you'd expect. Um, you know, 10 or 15 under might win the tournament, but I think even Park could finish, you know, six or seven. So it would spread things out. Guys would get rewarded for good shots. And, and penalize for bad shots. So that's really what we're looking for. You know, the USJ tends to tends to penalize bad shots and good shots at times. Augusta very rarely does Augusta National penalize a bad shot. I mean, a good shot very rarely. And Pine Valley's like that. Pine Valley tends if you go out and play good, you can shoot a good score there. I know that you know, but if you don't play well, man, you can shoot a million there, and I mean a million. And I, I like that. I think another golf course is like that, though. Maybe again, the equipment may have changed at Cypress Point. Uh, so golf course that if you play good you can shoot seven or eight in a par you play bad you can shoot 80 in a hurry and um, that, 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 that's a great thing about golf too many golf courses are today we've gotten into this golf course has gone hard where a good round is 70 and a bad round is 95 I rather see a golf course where a good round is 65 and a bad round is 75 yeah that's, I, I, I agree I, like, I love golf courses that allow you and to Augusta, score again, Augusta does that a great job of that mm-hmm it's, for the pros, yeah, it's uh, I, I we're on the same page there. I, I, uh, I'm it, that's I, I'm excited to see Trinity Forest, it, you know, modern design by you know a great architect. That's I think what's kind of lacking with the you know ex, the explosion and the driving distance is that you know you know some of the golf course you know playing, but you know these guys don't design golf courses for the for the PGA Tour pro. You know, so that's right. We need more of that too. We have too many golf courses being designed for pros and not enough golf courses being designed for the everyday player yeah this concept of of 17 sets of tees to me is bad for our game not good for our game it takes away from the what's great about our sport is that everyone kind of plays the same course and the golf ball has affected that a little bit but we don't just you know we golf course should have three or four three sets of tees you know you should have a, a, a front middle and back and that's all you really should need and if you need more than that then maybe you gotta look at your design and not necessarily look at uh figure out how to make holes longer yeah yeah let's figure out how to make them wider 
Again, again, I I told this to Phil, and he didn't. I tried to have this conversation that the biggest deterrent, you know, rough to me is the worst hazard in golf, and uh, it just penalizes. You know, if you get a golf course like the U.S. Open and you go twenty yard wide fairways and knee deep rough, that favors long hitters, but does not favor short hitters. Because everybody drives in the rough, and if you're long in the rough, you might be able to get it up by the green, but if you're short in the rough, you're chipping out. So I always thought that if you really wanted to make it fair, you, you, again, I, I think trees are great deterrents. I think dog legs are real dog legs are great deterrents. Um, and, and, and again, wind and then firmness and then angles, you know, forcing players to hit the ball on the pick a line and hit it on that line. If you don't, you're going to be penalized and hitting it the right distance. That's how you make the game harder. As opposed to just, let me tell you something, from an architectural standpoint, I don't mean that if you have a 520-yard par 4, that's difficult. All you need is a tee, a fairway, and a green. You don't need anything else. To make a 330-yard par 4 difficult, you actually need some imagination and some skill. I mean, take the 14th hole at Nearfield Village, one of the great short par 4s in golf. Um, Jack did a good job of making you hit the ball on the right line the right distance. 12th hole, I guess the national is a perfect example of that. Anybody can make the a 250 yard par three hard. It's not that difficult. You just need a tee and a green. That's it. You know, it could be anything. And it's going to play difficult. It's making the short one, the, the one where everyone can play difficult, that challenges good players and, and, and allows bad players to play. That's the skill in architecture that we seem to be losing a little bit. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I bang that. I, I talk about narrow fairways and, and, and it favoring the long hitters so much, you know, if you miss yeah, a fairway, like the 20 yard wide fairway, everybody's going to miss a handful of times. You know? Well, again, the straightest driver on tour, it's about 10 out of 14 fairways. And the most crooked driver on tour hits about seven. Yeah. That's, and so three fairways. I think that's why you saw so much good, so much variety at Aaron Hills was because these fairways were wide and, and guys could go out and hit 12 fairways. But I, I thought it was a good tournament. The USGA doesn't like those kinds of scoring. I think mean, he shoot 15. I don't know what he shot there. A pretty decent amount under par. 16, maybe, or 15. 16 under par. But, but again, I think we, 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 that's where the USGA is wrong, is that that score is the champion. It wasn't hard to figure out who the best player that week was. And to me, that means you've, you've done your goal. You know, when Rory shot 16 under Congressional, it wasn't hard to figure out. It's not like some fluky guy who didn't. He deserved to win. And you can, you can, you guys are into this. You go back, and you, the lower the score is in relation to par, almost invariably, the more worthy the champion was. You know, when two over par wins, Orville Moody wins. When eight under par wins, Jack Nicklaus wins. That's a great point. And 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 we and Augusta does it again. I, I hate to say this, Augusta does a great job with that too. But when you see really low scores in major championships, a lot of times it's Tiger Woods and Jack Nicklaus and guys who, well, okay, Rory McIlroy. Jordan Speed, I, mean, I think this, this Kupka guy, I can't pronounce his name, this guy, holy, he can really play. Man, he's going to win a lot of major championships, I would guess. Yeah, he, um, he's he got a lot of game. There's not much. He has a lot of game. Yeah, he hits it great. He putts well and he chips yeah. well. It's not like there's any holes. So There's none. Um, well, hey, Paul, I, I appreciate the time. and um, Yeah, no problem. And uh, I'll see you. I, I, the, you guys got the uh, senior players that, uh, of course, I, uh, I grew up playing around. And at, Is it called Exmoor? Exmoor, yeah. Old school Donald Perfect. Ross course. So Perfect. We'll see you out there uh, in next summer. Yeah, come find me. All right. Thanks a lot. And right. uh, Thank you. All right. Bye. Horse.